there. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Withdrawal, a weekly discussion on antidepressants and the issues surrounding them. Hello, this is James. Welcome to Let's Talk Withdrawal, a weekly podcast discussing antidepressants and mental health. This week, we have an interview with nutritional therapy practitioner Holly Higgins. Holly tells us about her experiences with psychiatric drugs and withdrawal, and how she healed her depression and anxiety with real food. Holly's website, PillsToPaleo.com, is a wealth of information about nutritional approaches to mental health and well-being, and well worth a visit. Holly, thank you so much for talking with me today. I wanted to start really by just talking a little about your own experiences of the mental health care system and how you first came into contact with psychiatric drugs. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on today. Um, I really appreciate it. So how I came to take psychiatric drugs, um, I had a pretty difficult childhood, as most of us do, um, a lot of emotional trauma. And as a result of that, I dealt with low-grade depression and anxiety for most of my life. I was never formally diagnosed with anything, um, but I always, like ever since I was probably 10 years old, I knew that I struggled with mood issues. And I always just kind of dealt with them and shoved them under the rug and pretended like I was okay. Um, But when I turned 25, I had a breaking point. And the depression and anxiety got so bad that I didn't want to leave my house. Um, When I did leave my house and I went to the grocery store, I was convinced that every single stranger in sight hated me and wanted me to die, which is completely illogical because they don't know me. Um, I felt this very intense panic in my body that almost felt physical I was having panic attacks. I was drinking a bottle of wine a day to deal with it. Um, I was just in a very, very, very dark place. And so I did what society tells you to do when these things happen. And I went to a therapist and um, immediately the therapist was like, you know, you're in a really bad spot. I want you to get the support you need. Um, I really strongly suggest that you go see a psychiatrist. Um, and so I said, okay. And I went to a psychiatrist and between the therapist, the licensed social worker and the psychiatrist, I was diagnosed with 10 different mood disorders, everything from bipolar type two, social anxiety, agoraphobia, impulse control disorder, ADD, um, major depression, (laughs) a laundry list of diagnoses. And, um, I was told by my therapist that medication will be your life jacket while we get you back to shore. And that sounded really appealing to me. And I was told by my psychiatrist, you will probably need to take these drugs for the rest of your life. That is how I got started on medications. Um, Over the course of my journey, I cycled through about 10 different medications, but the ones that I was on for the longest and the most consistently were generic versions of Zoloft, Lamictal, and Xanax. And those are SSRIs, mood stabilizers, and benzodiazepines, respectively. Okay. Um, 
so that's that's how I got started on psych drugs. <laughs> it's amazing how easy these pills are to start, isn't it? A quick conversation with a psychiatrist, and before you know it, you've been sold the myth that the pills are going to fix something. Holly, how did you feel about taking medications for your diagnosed mood disorders? Was it something you felt positive about, or were you anxious about what they might do to you? How did you feel about the treatment? To be honest with you, and this sounds crazy to me now, but to be honest with you, I was really excited. I was very eager. Um, I had struggled with my mood issues for so long, and the the uh, you know quote unquote breaking point that I had where things got really severe. I was just I was in such a bad place that I wanted a ticket out of it, and I was told by professionals. Um, with degrees from prestigious medical schools that I had diseases. I mean, you know, I had these diagnosable mood disorders and it was really, really comforting for me for somebody to say, you have this, this is why you feel this way and we have the answer for you. And I put a lot of faith into that and I really bought into the idea that I was broken. I bought into the idea that I had screwed up brain chemistry and that it ran in my family. Mental illness, you know, quote unquote, mental illness does run in my family. And there are other reasons for that, which I'll talk about later. Um, But I really bought into the idea that I was broken. And I was like, I was excited about getting on the drugs because I thought that they were going to be the answer to my problem. And I remember getting that first prescription bottle at the drugstore and just holding it in my hands. And feeling really good about it. And I was told about side effects, but they were downplayed. Um, It was like, you know, you might gain a little weight. Um, We might have to try a few different things before we find the one that works. Um, But I didn't really hear those messages because I was so comforted by the diagnoses. Mm -hmm. I was so excited to find out what was wrong with me and why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And so... I believe I was not given true informed consent. And when I say informed consent, I mean told about all of the potential benefits and all of the potential side effects. I, I really feel like the side effects were downplayed and that I was not, um, was not thoroughly educated on what could really happen to me. It's such a common story, isn't it? These things are sold to us like a magic bullet with no downsides. And because we're told that we'll need to take them for life, that immediately means there's no reason for doctors to tell us about withdrawal issues. So many people don't get the information they need to make an informed choice about the drugs. And Holly, having started on the medications, what was the path of treatment then? Were the dosages changed or were additional medications added? How did your treatment progress? So I think I started, if I remember correctly, I believe I started off with either 25 or 50 milligrams of Zoloft. And I remember when I first did that, I had a few side effects uh, for the first couple of days of feeling pretty manic and hyper and... um, Whether that was psychosomatic or physiological, I'm not really sure. But um, I just remember thinking like, okay, it's kicking in, it's working. Um, And I think a lot of my treatment was psychosomatic for me because I, I did believe at first that they were helping. So that kicked in. And my whole treatment journey looks a little bit like a roller coaster. Like I, I feel like I would get a little bit better. And then I would start dipping down and then my psychiatrist would bump my dose. Mm. 
and it was like this mountain that slowly grew and grew and grew and you know I went from 50 migs of Zoloft to 100 milligrams of Zoloft and then you know difficult subjects were start com- would start coming up in therapy and eventually I believe I ended up on 200 milligrams of generic Zoloft um, which is a pretty high dose um, I was also put on Lamictal, a mood stabilizer, and then um, down the line, I started having a lot of issues with panic, and so she threw Xanax on top of that, and so it was this pretty rapidly increasing, oh, you're feeling bad, let's add a little more to it, let's add a little more to it, and I would initially feel a little bit better, but like then I would plateau, or I would start feeling worse, so it was just this layering on of drugs. Um, and that happened very quickly. That happened over the course of about a year and a half. Again, that's a common approach taken, isn't it? They really do seem to throw many drugs at the problem. And it's only when you look back, you think, how much consideration has gone into this treatment on the doctor's part? Because it really feels like guesswork. Yeah. And, and I will say like my initial con, uh, my initial consult with the psychiatrist was 90 minutes, which here in the, the United States, that's considered generous and um, really, really generous, a very long appointment. So 90 minutes in that first evaluation, but all of my follow-ups were 15 minutes. What can you learn about a person in 15 minutes, James? I mean, really, <laughs> what, what can you do in 15 minutes? It just boggles my mind. It doesn't at all allow the time to understand what's at the root of someone's difficulties, does it? And Holly, how did you find the adverse effects of being on a number of medications at relatively high doses? How did that affect you? Uh, it was one of the worst things I have ever experienced in my life. And I will say that it I felt like it snuck up on me, like... By the time I realized what was happening, it was too late to do anything about it. So here I was trying to feel better, trying to feel better. So I'd have more medication thrown at me, higher dosages. And by the time I realized what was going on, it was just too late. So one of the biggest things that happened to me was my mood completely flatlined. And if you can picture like an EKG or a cardiology graph, you know, the heartbeat goes up and down, up and down. And then when somebody dies, it flatlines. And um, that's how my mood felt. I just felt like a zombie. I just, I wasn't happy. I wasn't sad. I was just kind of, I was robotic. The other thing that really deeply impacted my self-esteem was that over the course of a year and a half, I put on 60 pounds, you know, and the more my dosages were increased, the faster I gained weight. So at first, like I felt like, oh, I'm putting on a little bit of weight, but they said that was normal. But then towards the the last few months that I was taking these meds, um, I was gaining weight at a rate of about two pounds a week, which is pretty staggering. So I couldn't fit into any of my clothes. I had to start shopping at plus size stores. So while I no longer had quote unquote, severe depression or anxiety, I certainly wasn't happy with myself. I looked in the mirror and I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't feel attractive. I felt like people started treating me differently because I was obese. I also completely lost my libido and I had absolutely no interest in sex. And that really um, impacted my marriage in a negative way. Um, my husband, I will say he was super, he was and always has been super supportive of me throughout this, but 
I felt ashamed because I couldn't participate in my marriage the way that I wanted to. And that was really devastating for me. Um, also, my background is in um, marketing, advertising, and creative writing. So throughout most of my career, I've been an advertising copywriter. So creativity was I've always been a highly creative person and it was, it was important to my job and it was important to my uh, financial well-being. So I completely, I felt like I completely lost my creativity on these drugs and I was really, really scared because if I can't be creative in my role as an advertising copywriter, I could lose my job. Mm. And that was terrifying. I also felt, um, along with that flatline mood, I just felt like I lost touch with my soul. You know, most of us, if we're in touch with ourselves and we sit still and we think about who we are and our role in the world, like we can feel this little thing inside of us that we know is our soul. And I couldn't feel that anymore. I just didn't know who I was anymore. And so... Yeah, yeah, not not a pretty list of side effects, right? <laughs> That's a very vivid description and really resonates with my own experiences too. And during that time, Holly, with those effects creeping up on you, do you remember wondering whether it was down to the drugs or did you think it may be a consequence of your moves? What did you think was going on? The side effects, like they did start creeping on within the first couple months and the first thoughts I had were oh, I'm not on the right drug for me. We haven't found the right drug for me yet. Or we need to tweak the dosage. Because I was, t while I wasn't thoroughly warned about the side effects, I was told like, you know, it can take a little bit of trial and error to find the right drug for you. So I was like, well, we just need to change drugs or we just need to adjust the dosage. But towards the end of that year and a half um, medication journey, I was like, um, I need to get off these. I, I do feel like the drugs completely stripped away my intuition and my little internal compass and my internal voice that I believe is very important to listen to. But there was a shred of it left. There was a shred of my intuition left and it was screaming at me and it said, these drugs are killing you. You need to get off of them. And so toward the end of that journey, I started doing more research online and, and back then um, there was not as much information as is available today. Um, and I'm really grateful for people who are sharing their story about this now because there are more resources online these days. But I started Googling about side effects and I started um, researching other people's stories and I became convinced that yes, the drugs were harming me. Um, and the other very, very popular thing that I came across online was in regards to weight gain was like, well, you can be fat and happy or skinny and depressed, meaning you can stay on these drugs that make you gain weight, but at least you're not going to be a depressed mess. Or you can go off the drugs, potentially lose weight, but then you're going to enter a deep depressive episode again. And so... I was confused. I didn't know what to do. It was a very, very scary time. Um, but yeah, towards the end of that year and a half, I became convinced that uh, Big Pharma was evil and I was being taken for a ride <laughs> and I needed to get off the drugs. And when you made your decision to come off the drugs, how long had you been taking them for? Total of a year and a half, um, which compared to a lot of people isn't that long. And I am grateful that it didn't drag on for longer, but I do want to say that 
if you are in a position where you've been taking drugs for 15 or 20 years, I don't want that to discourage you. There is hope for you no matter what. But me personally, I had been taking them for a year and a half when I decided to come off. Okay, and how did you go about withdrawing? You mentioned previously that you made use of the internet for support. How did you approach your withdrawal? No, the first thing I did was I talked to my psychiatrist about it and I was like, you know, look, I've gained 60 pounds. I really am starting to think this isn't right for me and I want to try going off. And she was supportive of it. And she was like, okay, she was like, you know, I agree that your dosages are a bit high. And maybe if we, maybe if we get you down to a lower dose, you'll start losing weight. And she never, it it felt like the goal of her was like, never to get me off of them. But she was like, okay, we can try lowering your dose. So I remember she decreased my Zoloft dosage um, by 12.5 milligrams. And that alone caused severe symptoms. To me, it seemed like a minor decrease because I think I was taking either 175 or 200 milligrams at the time. So I was like, oh, 12.5 milligrams. They're like, that doesn't seem bad. But um, I woke up vomiting. I was shaking. I was breaking out in cold sweats. I was having headaches, irritability, dizziness, nausea. And so I went back to her and I said, um, this isn't working for me. I don't think I can get off of these. And within that appointment, like she said some things that rubbed me the wrong way. And so I decided to go see a different psychiatrist. So I looked for an integrative psychiatrist um, in my area. And he agreed that he would help me taper off. You know, actually, he, he put me on some different drugs because he was like, well, maybe you just need to like switch to Lexapro and, and Zoloft isn't right for you. So I tried that over a couple months and nothing happened. I lost no weight. I had all of the same side effects. So I was like, listen, buddy, I need to taper off these and you're going to help me do it. And he was like, okay. And so... At that point, I had been doing a lot of research on my own, and I came across um, a book called The Antidepressant Solution by Dr. Joseph Glenn Mullen, which I highly recommend. And I had also come across um, Will Hall's Harm Reduction Guide to Coming Off Psychiatric Drugs. And I recommend both of those resources very, very highly. And so I had educated myself about tapering And to be honest, probably knew more than the psychiatrist. So he agreed to switch me over to Prozac to um, do the Prozac bridging protocol. And what Prozac bridging is, is you switch over from whatever SSRI you're on, uh, whether it's, you know, Zoloft or Lexapro or whatever. The goal is to switch over to Prozac because it has a longer half-life. And what that means is that the medication washes out of your body more slowly than the other types of SSRIs. And so that makes withdrawal, it can make withdrawal less painful because you're not having these like sudden flushes of the medication and it's a, it's a slower, more gentle process. So he switched me over to Prozac and... Um, he gave me a, a dosage decreasing protocol, but knowing what I know now, it was still far too aggressive. And I did have I did have the resources in my own hands of the antidepressant solution and harm reduction guide, but the psychiatrist wasn't willing to employ a compounding farm pharmacy. He wasn't eager to try to get me smaller dosages to titrate me down in a more gentle manner. So 
I actually came off of everything over the course of two months. That is very quick. It is very, very quick. And um, knowing what I know now, <laughs> that's really irresponsible, both on his part and my part. But the thing is, is even though I did know better and I had read these books, I was still kind of like, well, this is what he's telling me to do. And I was also so angry and so desperate that I was just like, I'm going to knuckle through this and I'm just going to get off because I really did feel like the pills were killing me. And as a result of that withdrawal, which was much too quick, um, I had all of the side effects of the withdrawal. I had dizziness, nausea, extreme fatigue, headaches, vomiting. Um, I missed a lot of work. And fortunately, I was able to talk to the owner of my ad agency and I let them know what was going on and they were understanding. And my husband was super supportive, but that was a really rough time. And the other thing about um, withdrawal is that it can feel like depressive relapse. So really what's happening is that you're having physical withdrawal symptoms, but they mimic the symptoms that got you on the drugs in the first place. <laughs> it's shocking, isn't it, to understand that the violence of your body's reaction makes you realize that these drugs are probably far more toxic than you realized before trying to stop. And also that so little is known and talked about withdrawal that people don't know how big an impact that withdrawal is going to have on their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was terrifying. Very terrifying. <laughs> and so, Holly, how long do you think that you were struggling with withdrawal effects before you started to stabilize? That's where the story gets interesting. So I came off of them over the course of two months. And I would say by the third month, I, was, I wasn't dealing with the withdrawal symptoms so heavily. I was still feeling very kind of meh, <laughs> just like blah. And I didn't feel extremely depressed or extremely anxious like I did when I first went on the drugs. But my biggest concern at that point after I came off the medications was how in the world am I going to lose this weight? Because I had packed on 60 pounds. And so coming out of the fog of medication, looking in the mirror, finally feeling like I could feel my moods a little bit, finally feeling like I felt my soul returning, I looked in the mirror and I said, oh my gosh, how did this happen to me? How am I going to lose the weight? So I started trying all these crazy diets. I did low fat. I did calorie counting. I, I was reading a lot about Weight Watchers and, and juice fasting and da 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 And then I started exercising a lot because, like I said, my only concern was how am I going to lose this weight? And nothing was working. I wasn't losing anything. And so I thought, oh, my gosh, these drugs ruined my body. I'm weight loss resistant. I'm always going to be obese. This is terrible. And so finally, I came across um, this diet plan called the Whole30. And it was wildly different from other things that I had read. You need to be eating meat and you need to be eating lots of fat and you need to eliminate all grains and all dairy. And I was like, wow, isn't fat bad for you? And I was, but I was so desperate that I was like, well, I'm going to give this whole 30 thing a try. People seem to be getting good results with it. So I tried the whole 30, which is a version of the paleo diet. Yeah. It's just a little more strict. And I did the whole 30 
And what that does is you eliminate all grains, all dairy, all soy, all legumes and beans, all refined sugars and all refined oils, and you focus your diet around properly raised or humanely raised animal protein, vegetables, fruits, healthy fats like avocado oil, olive oil, and even animal fats, and nuts and seeds. And that sounds very limiting and very restrictive, but I will tell you, I ate more deliciously than I ever have in my life. So I did that for a month. And by the end of the month, I lost six pounds. But also by the end of the month, I realized that I had felt I started feeling happy. And this was the first time in years that I had felt any sort of semblance of happiness. And so I said, 30 days, heck, I'm going to keep doing this. So I just kept doing it and I kept feeling happier and happier and happier. And the weight just started falling off. And I was like, I wonder if there's a connection between nutrition and mental health. And so I started Googling it. And sure enough, there is a connection. And there was research on it. And people were talking about it. And I, I was really, really angry because my therapist had never mentioned nutrition. My psychiatrist had never mentioned nutrition. And here it was completely changing my life. And I tell people now that I believe that 75, 70 to 75% of my symptoms of depression and anxiety were rooted in nutrition and imbalances in my body. Not that my brain was broken, but that my body was under a severe stress response and my body was inflamed and my body needed the right nutrients. By healing my body, 70% of my mood symptoms went away. And because that burden was lifted, I was also able to really dive into therapy and doing that emotional work. And that became so much easier. So with all of that research, I became incredibly passionate about it. And I decided to go back to school to study the connection between nutrition and mental health. And there is not exactly a school that teaches that directly, but I chose the Nutritional Therapy Association um, because it most closely aligned with my my paradigm. And so I, I graduated through them. I'm now a certified nutritional therapy practitioner. But I've also, through my own lived experience and my own personal research, hours and hours of personal research studying nutrition and mental health, I now specialize in nutrition for mental health and I help other people transition to this diet to heal their body and in turn improve their mood. That's just an incredible thing to do, to use your experience to support others with something that had such a fundamental impact on your life. And what you describe is starting to take back control of your life from the drugs and doing something that caused you to lose weight and then seeing the results of your efforts and then improving your mood. That's the complete opposite of the drugs, isn't it? Because the drugs don't require any intervention from you. It's difficult to understand what they're doing, so we just kind of let them get on with it. But in fact, what they're doing is encouraging us to eat badly and not to exercise and all the other things that are equally harmful to our health. But your description of taking back control and directly seeing the benefits is really powerful. Mm -hmm. And James, I, I love what you said about taking back our power, because I think that's one of the most fundamental things that happened on my journey is that I realized that I was powerful and I could do something about this. And it wasn't, um, I'll, I'll get more into this a little bit later, but it's not just the fact that I was losing weight that made me happy. Um, 
there are biochemical, physiological reasons that this particular diet can be very, very helpful for people with mental health issues. And it can be very supportive for people who want to pursue a taper. I really wish that I had adopted this eating style before I chose to taper because it can actually um, make the process of tapering a lot more gentle on the body when you do have support nutritionally. Thank you. And it would be great, Holly, if we can unpack that a little bit, if that's okay. Why exactly is paleo a good dietary protocol for people who are perhaps dealing with mental health issues or thinking about stopping a psychiatric drug? So the first reason that it is highly beneficial is it eliminates the most common inflammatory foods, um, especially gluten. So grains, I mean, not all gluten, not all grains contain gluten, but um, grains in general are inflammatory to many people, um, as well as sugar and refined oils. So it eliminates inflammatory foods and the some of the biggest common allergens in our, um, that people experience. And what they're finding more and more in the research is that depression is an inflammatory condition. And this is also, if you want to do a little Googling yourself, this is also known as the cytokine model of depression. So we have inflammation in our body. We can also have inflammation in our brain. And they're finding more and more that this is a major contributor to depression. So paleo, um, if pursued appropriately, is a very anti-inflammatory diet. And so when you decrease the levels of inflammation in the body, you're very likely going to see an improvement in your mood. The other thing is that um, it can help to heal our digestive tract. So most inflammation in the body actually begins in our gut. And when I say our gut, I mean, you know, our stomach, our small and large intestine, our entire digestive system. And upwards of 90% of serotonin, we all know serotonin as the feel-good mood chemical, you know, um, upwards of 90% of that is actually made in our gut. And then our gut is directly connected to our brain via the vagus nerve. There is a back and forth highway. The gut and the brain are constantly talking to each other. So when we heal our digestive system, our mood can improve tremendously. That's a huge one. The other thing is that, you know, if it's implemented correctly, a paleo diet can really, really stabilize your blood sugar. And Dr. Kelly Brogan, a very um, well-known holistic psychiatrist over here in the States, Um, She calls blood sugar imbalances the great psychiatric pretender. So when your blood sugar looks like a roller coaster, when you're eating bagels and cereal and orange juice in the morning and you're getting that blood sugar spike, a couple hours later it plummets right back down and you need another high sugar or high carbohydrate snack or meal to pick that back up and then it ping pongs back up and you're on this roller coaster of blood sugar And that looks a lot like bipolar. (laughs) That looks a lot like mood swings. Um, Many people find when they get their blood sugar under control, they get their mood under control. It absolutely devastates me. And I believe so many mood disorders are inappropriately given to people who have subclinical blood sugar imbalances. So when I say subclinical, You might go to your doctor and he might test your blood sugar or your fasting glucose or whatever and be like, 
well, you don't have diabetes or anything, or you don't even register as pre-diabetic, but uh, so, so I'm not concerned about your blood sugar. So conventional testing that we get in our doctor's office cannot identify subclinical blood sugar imbalances. And that's when you have blood sugar imbalances that aren't deserving of a medical diagnosis yet, but they're still there and they're still affecting you. So if you have mood swings, if you feel like you go between feeling really jittery and anxious to feeling like you want to pass out or take a nap, um, if you have difficulty sleeping, if you're waking up at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. every night, you likely have blood sugar imbalances. And a paleo-type eating plan can really balance that for some people. Um, finally, um, the last thing that I'll add, and there are many more reasons, but I just kind of want to hit on the top three. Finally, um, a paleo eating plan provides more bioavailable vitamins and minerals. And when I say bioavailable, I mean that they're easy for our body to absorb. So when we eat foods that are closest to their natural state, our bodies know how to work with that food. When we eat food that's been highly processed and refined and synthetic vitamins have been added after the fact, you know, the history of our, our, of our body and our evolution, like our bodies don't understand how to digest that. Our bodies, I would argue, don't even recognize that as food. So when you can get readily available vitamins and minerals and nutrients that your body recognizes, that can be extremely important for mental health, especially when it comes to B vitamins. Um, B12 and things like that, there's a ton of research. Those are absolutely crucial for mental health. And finally, I will add, as I kind of referenced earlier, this way of eating can provide a very stable foundation for tapering. So I actually like to see people eating this way for about three months before they even attempt to taper. I know sometimes there are urgent needs to pursue a taper sooner than that, but um, I find that if people can really get their physiology stabilized through a healing diet like this, tapering off the drugs is much more gentle and there are far fewer side effects. That is a message that I've heard loud and clear from others too. Those that have been successful with their tapering are generally those who've taken some time to prepare because the process of withdrawing is physically quite tough, isn't it? It's very, very stressful on the body. And if you are eating a diet that isn't supportive of healing, it's just going to be even more stressful. So, you know, while tapering is a very stressful process on the body, many of us need to taper off the drugs to heal. Um, and so if you're going to be putting a lot of stress on your body by tapering, do everything in your power that you can to support healing and to support to support your body's resilience. That's great advice. Thank you, Holly. I wanted to move on now to talk about your website, if that's okay. Pillstopaleo.com is such an excellent source of information for those looking to improve their mental health via nutritional means. And I wanted to ask how you came to put the website together and perhaps how you go about providing support to clients. Absolutely. So um, in the depths of my struggle, I feel like I was on the internet 24-7 um, looking for resources, looking for answers, looking for people who had a similar story to me. And I couldn't find much. I felt like I was lost in this en this endless swirl of message boards and people just talking about different medications, but I wasn't really finding any answers. Um, I eventually like did 
feel like I found the answers, but it was very much like this very difficult puzzle. Like I would find this one little puzzle piece and then I'd have to search for hours and hours until I found the next puzzle piece. So a few months after like I'd really started this healing protocol, I was like, I have to take everything that I've learned about my healing journey and put this in one comprehensive place for people so that they don't have to go down this endless rabbit hole of Google and message boards and waste hours of their life. <laughs> so I wanted to create a comprehensive resource for people who were um, going through what I went through so that they could find the tools that I found helpful in my own journey. So I have a lot of different resources on my website. I have a lot of guides to how to start a paleo nutrition approach. I have um, a lot of info on natural birth control options because that was another part of my story is that I realized that I needed to get off of man-made birth control and I needed to pursue birth control in a more natural way. Mm. Kind of ties in with all this natural healing stuff. I also have a lot of like mindset and motivational articles. So in addition to all of the resources that I have, I am also as you can probably tell from this interview, I am extremely open with my story. I put myself out there. I use my full name. And I'm not saying that this, is, this should be the goal of everybody, but it's something that I have chosen to do because I think it is so important. And so in addition to the resources, I hope that people see me as an inspiration. Um, I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but I have lost all of the weight. I have very, very stable mental health. I have an excellent mood. I am in love with my life. My husband and I recently paid off all of our debt. I have switched my career. I am now helping other people. I am a completely different person than I was even a couple of years ago. And so a part of the website is to show people what is possible. And the other thing that I do is I do offer one-on-one -on -one support for people um, who are going through this journey. You know, not even people who are... I do help people who are tapering. Um, I can't provide specific guidance for tapering because it is outside of the scope of my practice, but I can point people to resources very readily. Um, I can suggest conversations that they should have with their doctors. Um, but the main thing that I do is I help people nutritionally figure out what they need to be doing. And I also am able to provide targeted supplementation to help you heal your body. So many people who have mood disorders, they're actually struggling with digestive issues. And there's a lot that um, can be done with that. Or they're struggling with what's known as adrenal fatigue. That's very, very, very common. Or blood sugar issues. So, you know, many people can approach dietary change on their own and be successful with it. But there can be some trial and error. You might need targeted supplementation. You might need a detective to help you dig to the bottom of things, and that's what I help people do in my one-on-one -on -one practice. I'm there to, to help you get your mindset right, to help you believe that change is possible, to encourage you, to guide you along the way. So I do work with people one-on-one, -on -one, and my practice is primarily virtual, so I work with people over video consultation and email. So typically, distance is not a concern. Um, so yeah, pillstopaleo.com is just this hub of where people can go to find the answers that helped me. Well, it's fantastic. It's so well presented and you're so candid about your own story that people can easily see the effort that you put in and the direct result of that effort on your own life. 
I've sat in front of a psychiatrist before now and thought, this is all very theoretical and they've probably never taken a psychiatric drug and I'd much rather rely on the lived experience of those who've been there and come out the other side. That, to me, is far more valuable than the largely theoretical approach of a lot of medics, I think. And that's one of the biggest things or one of the most common things that people say to me is they say, I knew that I had to reach out to you because you get it. You know what it's like. You've been through that. And there is something really valuable in that. Um, When you know that you're talking to somebody who doesn't just see you as a patient or somebody with a diagnosis who wants to put you in a little box, you know, I, I address people as the full human beings that they are. That's so important, isn't it? Because if medicine just sees us as a bag of hormones and neurotransmitters, then the response to many issues is going to be predominantly chemical in nature. And clearly that's not what makes a lasting difference in people's lives. No, no. They need to be seen as individuals and supported in a 360-degree capacity. Absolutely, I agree. And Holly, I just wondered if you had any words of advice for anyone who's struggling with their mental health or maybe medication withdrawal. I would say... If I could leave you with one thing, no matter where you're at in your journey, whether you're on meds or you're off meds or you're tapering, no matter where you're at, don't attach to your diagnosis. You can let your diagnosis inform you, but don't attach your identity to it. Um, Be very, very wary of that. I did that. I identified as Holly the depressed person, Holly who has social anxiety. Um, It became very much a part of my identity and how I saw myself and therefore it impacted how I interacted with the world and those around me. And part of that felt really good to me because, like I said earlier, I felt comforted by the diagnoses and they were like, oh, they were a shining light for me because I felt like I finally understood what was wrong with me. But the biggest piece of advice I can give for people who are struggling with mental health is you are not your diagnosis. You are a person, you have symptoms, and those symptoms are caused by a wide range of things. Uh, It's not because your brain is broken. And so the biggest fundamental thing you can do from a mindset perspective is separate your identity from your diagnosis. You can say, I have symptoms of depression, but not I am depressed or I have depression. Don't own that. It's not who you are. They're just symptoms. I agree. That is such an important thing to get across. And again, Western medicine fools us into thinking that a diagnosis is the start of getting back to normal. But for many people, it becomes a limiting belief that restricts recovery. It took me personally quite some time to realize that. So it's a message that's worth promoting, isn't it? Yeah, it was definitely the most important thing uh, for me to figure out. And it took me a while to figure it out because I didn't even realize for the longest time that I was sort of romancing my diagnosis in a way. Um, And it was actually painful letting go of my diagnoses. And I know that sounds funny, but my diagnoses became a crutch and an excuse for me. Um, And it was like, oh, I can't do this because I have depression. I can't do this because I have social anxiety. And this may sound harsh, but they became a cop out for me in many ways to not fully show up for my life. And so when you can start bit by bit, day by day to see yourself as a person and not as a diagnosis, that is where you start to get your power back. 
Holly, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. It was such a pleasure, and I'm really grateful to you for all of the advice, support, guidance, and encouragement that you provide to so many to help them with these issues. It's great to be able to share these alternative approaches with the listeners. Absolutely, James. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, It's been a wonderful conversation, and I know that I've been thanking you ever since we hopped on Skype together, but I just, again, want to thank you from the bottom of of my heart for for making this podcast and um, sharing this message and all of the voices that you bring on to your show. It is extremely important work that you're doing. It was really interesting to talk with Holly and to be able to explore some of the many options for help and support for those who are in the process of or have withdrawn from psychiatric drugs. As a reminder, Holly's website is pillstopaleo.com. It really is a wealth of information for anyone interested in nutritional approaches to health and well-being. I have some news about the podcast that I wanted to share with you this week. But first, I just wanted to reflect a little. When I uploaded the first episode of the podcast some 16 weeks ago, if someone had said by the end of June the podcasts will have been downloaded over 20,000 times, I wouldn't have said that was possible. I've released over 16 hours of interviews that prove beyond doubt that we have a fundamentally broken approach when responding to trauma and emotional distress. We've shown that psychiatric drugs, far from the benefit that they are made out to be, are used indiscriminately with no follow-up, and as a consequence we are mistreating and harming people. Couple that with the ever-expanding description of normal human experiences aberrant and in need of diagnosis, and the medication of our children with mind-altering substances based on flimsy science, and we're creating a far bigger problem. I want to take a moment to thank every single person that I've interviewed. Everyone has been incredibly brave to open up about such difficult experiences for the benefit of others. The experts too have willingly put themselves in the firing line to face the uncomfortable and inconvenient truth that we've drugged millions of people unnecessarily, causing great harm in the process and for mainly monetary reasons. It's been an eye-opening experience over the last few months, and a large part of what the podcast has achieved has been because of your support. Thank you to each and every one of you for listening, and for your feedback and comments too. So, what's next for the podcast? Well, I'm excited to announce that for the last few weeks, I've been working with Robert Whittaker's organisation, Madden America, to develop their first podcast. Starting on Saturday the 1st of July, Let's Talk Withdrawal will be rebranded to become the first Madden America podcast. We will continue to discuss psychiatric drugs, but the focus will be wider, so we will cover science, psychiatry and social justice issues too. The first episode features an interview with Jim Gottstein, lawyer and president of the organisation Law Project for Psychiatric Rights, and we talk about the recent trial between Wendy Dolan and the UK pharmaceutical manufacturer GlaxoSmithKline. We will also be releasing a special episode of the podcast on the 11th of July to join in the events being held for World Benzodiazepine Awareness Day. Mad in America can really increase the footprint of the podcast and bring many more listeners to our cause than I could achieve on my own. I hope that you continue to listen in, and if you've already subscribed via iTunes, you'll continue to get each new episode as they are released without having to change anything. The podcast will also continue to be free to listen to on the Mad in America website. That's madinamerica.com. So thank you for listening and for your support as we move to the new podcast. 
To anyone experiencing withdrawal effects from psychiatric drugs, I want you to know that you are taken seriously, you are listened to, and you are supported by those of us with lived experience, and that is more compelling than knowledge gained from a textbook or from a biased clinical trial. It may sound simple, but time heals. In all the interviews that I've undertaken for this podcast, the overall message is that recovery is more than possible, but healing is a journey, and that journey can take time. If you are in that difficult place, I have every confidence in you that you will make progress. Until next time, thank you so much for listening and take care. Thank you so much for listening to Let's Talk Withdrawal. Come back next week for more news and views. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and subscribe in iTunes.